Alexa, who is the fourth speaker? Sophie Kleber works as executive director of the New York digital agency Huge. She creates future-forward user experiences to help transform businesses and shape the way we use technology. From screen-based interfaces, to voice user interfaces, to sentient computing, Sophie's work shapes some of the largest companies in the world, including IKEA, Under Armour, Goldman Sachs, and Warner Brothers. She is a thought leader in the future of design, has written on behalf of TED, and speaks regularly at South by Southwest. Well, there you go. That's Sophie. Hi. Sophie, take it away. Thank you. Do you have a clicker? Uh, it's on the table. Oh, cool. Awesome. Um, hi. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm Sophie Clever. I'm an executive creative director at Huge. Huge is based in Brooklyn. That's where I work. I'm from Germany, but I work over there. So what I want to talk to you about today is how we design personalities in voice. For me, the idea of voice is extremely exciting because I'm very excited about this idea that we have reached the end of the terminal world. So we have reached the end of interacting with computers through quote-unquote terminals. We've made screens smaller and smaller. We put them on our wrists. And now we're entering this golden age of uh, ambient computing, right? I do believe that the idea of technology actually moving further into the background and becoming a magical support system for us is very, very intriguing. And voice, obviously, is the first big role, uh, the first player in this, because it's the first time that we don't have to learn a computer's language, but the computer learns our language. But what we're noticing is something else is happening, right? If you would have asked anyone pre-2014 how they would like interact with their machine, out of thousands of adults who have been involved in our studies, not a single participant has ever said that a computer should be treated as a person. Now, fast forward to post-2014 when uh, Amazon Alexa came out. We love Alexa so much, she's like a family member. My four-year-old son talks to her all the time. So what happened? What did we do? Well, I think what happened is we could have been satisfied with designing voice commands, but we didn't. We actually started designing voice artificial personalities. And that is extremely deliberate. This is Tony Reed. She works at Amazon. And here is uh, what she sets out to do. Certainly, our vision is to be more human-like. And that's what we aspire to, is to uh, behave you know, as a human would in an interaction. And sure enough, for the first time, the computer refers to itself as I, as a personality. The questions that we ask then, we as designers have to ask ourselves is threefold. The first question I'm gonna just throw out there, could you craft a universally likable personality with all of that is research and known up until now? Second question is, should you do that? Then we're gonna ask, are we actually perpetuating stereotypes? And lastly, when machines talk, what does happen to our relationships, right? So designing voice personalities is, is super interesting. A couple of speakers before me have started to touch on this. Your voice is as unique as your fingerprint, so it says a lot about who you are, and um, it actually can say a lot about your personality. Um, in 2014, there was a study done um, 
with 320 participants, they rated 64 voices on 10 different personality traits simply with the word hello. Um, here is a couple of these hellos. Hello. 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 So you can pretty quickly guess which ones were the voices you want to hang out with and which ones are the ones that you really don't want to meet in the dark, right? So, let me go back here. The interesting thing is the accuracy with which people kind of like match these things together. Um, accuracy not meaning the people that spoke these voices actually were that, but accuracy meaning the amount of these, or the percentage of these 320 participants that said the same thing about a voice was pretty interesting, especially on the traits of extroversion and conscientiousness. Conscientiousness meaning being aware of yourself and others. Um, so they were rated pretty consistently, and that tells us that people actually do revoke or do draw a lot of personality traits from the way that people talk. So, of course, then begs the question, can we then actually design a personality that everyone likes, right? So we look at the voice personalities that we have and we match them on this on the scale from independent to agreeable and from utilitarian to sociable. Um, Alexa might have to be a little bit higher up, but what we see here really quickly is, you know, we don't really like Siri. Siri is called sassy very, very often. Why is she sassy or called sassy? Because she's very far on the independent scale. She's not going to let you have every joke. She's actually going to talk back to you. And that is where we have Hull, Samantha, and Kit, like all of the artificial intelligence and voice interfaces that we know from, uh, from science fiction that are also the ones that are going to go out and kill us, right? So we don't like Siri, we like these guys. And um, interestingly enough, you can tell a lot in their voice about the brand and the way that they were crafted and supposed to, supposed to sound. So here's Alexa. I'm Alexa and I'm designed around your voice. So Alexa is supposed to be kind of peppy, a little bit humble actually, very knowledgeable. So she has this very upbeat, optimistic tone in her personality. Now you have Google. I'm your Google Assistant. I can help with exchange rates. So I said Google to a male voice. The interesting thing about this is that Google almost sounds a little bit like Buzz Lightyear, um, which is not on, actually not a coincidence because Google employs a lot of ex-Pixar um, animators and voice animators to craft the voice personality. And it's very much like meant to be very friendly and, and sometimes they say, uh, you know, unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Um, and then we have Cortana. In short, I am your personal assistant. I try to make things easier to do on your phone. Sorry for the music underneath. <laughs> yeah, super shit. <laughs> um, the funny thing is that um, Cortana is very deliberately made to be a personal assistant. So what the Microsoft team actually did is they followed around 15 of the top personal assistants and they learned and understood and in typical Microsoft fashion had very little translation and only a direct kind of like, these assistants do that, we should do that too. Um, and went and modeled Cortana after these personal assistants. So she has a notebook that personal assistants have to keep like important things about their bosses in there. So very much more utilitarian. So what does research say? Research is interesting, right? So research says female preferred. Since the 70s, multiple studies have unanimously found that female voices are perceived to be warmer and are generally favored by more people, especially women. 
So there you have it. Must be subordinate. We are not ready yet for robots taking over. So multiple studies have shown in kind of experiments with even just the way that people were, were sitting towards the robot or the robot was sitting towards them, that we are not ready for robot world domination. So we want them to be very subordinate. And lastly, they should be extroverted and fun, right? 2005 study finds that participants feel a stronger social presence and trust when the machine-generated voices are similar to extroverted personalities than to introverted personalities. And we get into the details of why that is actually very beneficial when designing a voice personality. Lastly, this is a pretty interesting human trait or human flaw. It's maybe a bug or a feature. Um, we are phenomenal suckers for flattery. So studies show over and over that when we receive flattery, meaning insincere praise, we like whatever gives us the flattery, no matter whether it's a machine or a human, more. So of course I had to try that, right? I asked uh, Google, Amazon, and um, Cortana if they like my haircut. So here's uh, Alexa. If I could see it, I'm sure I would. <laughs> Thanks. I was just about to say how good it looks. So Google has no eyes. I can't say I was just about to say how good it looks. It's clearly blatantly lying. And I still like it a lot, right? And here's Cortana. I understand you're asking my opinion, but some of my opinions are still a work in progress. I wish the political correct personal assistant, right? So designing a, un a universally likable personality with all of this in mind actually is pretty easy. So here are th four things that you can do. First of all, you have to be subordinate, right? You are the boss. My job is to support you. I do as you say, I have no own agenda. This makes the machine not scary. Next, conscientious. I possess the knowledge and skills to help you. You can trust my word, right? If it's useless, I don't want it, I don't need it. It really has to help me. So you empower and reassure me as the user. Empathetic. I take what you are doing, um, going through seriously, and I am rooting for you. I relate to you and flatter you. In studies over and over, people assume relationships with machines, and I get into that a little bit later. And then the very interesting part of good humored. I'm extroverted. I have a funny side that can surprise you and lighten your mood. I am approachable. You sympathize with me, but the more important part is you forgive me. It is much easier to forgive a machine that is kind of funny and kind of like quirky um, all the mistakes and glitches in the software up to this point. So, that's cool. In the future, what I think is going to happen, we're not actually designing universally likable personalities, but we're going to design personalities that are liked by only me or only my family. Here's an example from the movie Her. Mr. Theodore Twombly, welcome to the world's first artificially intelligent operating system, OS1. We'd like to ask you a few basic questions before the operating system is initiated. This will help create an OS to best fit your needs. Okay. Are you social or antisocial? I guess I haven't really been social in a while, mostly because... In your voice, I sense hesitance. Would you agree with that? Was I sounding hesitant? Yes. No, sorry if I was sounding hesitant. I was just trying to be more accurate. 
Would you like your OS to have a male or female voice? Female, I guess. How would you describe your relationship with your mother? That was fine, I think. Um, well, actually, I think the thing I always found frustrating about my mom is, you know, if I, if I tell her something that's going on in my life, her reaction is usually about her. <laughs> it's not about... Thank you. Please wait as your individualized operating system is initiated. one of the best examples in science fiction for the idea of creating a personality based on only an individual and you see how the interface cuts him off and the answers of the questions it doesn't really matter what he says the interface has, or the AI has gotten it already right so this is interesting and a little bit scary the first question we have to ask ourselves is are we perpetuating stereotypes um, I would say say it with me yes we are because we're making only one relationship at the current moment. We are creating the relationship between the voice um, assistant and me, which is the servile companionship. It is this very delicate mix between someone who serves, Alexa, set the timer, and someone who is also a companion. Alexa, tell me a joke. And this relationship is something that women have known and tried to fight for or against for a long period of time. Again, in research, this is unfortunately rooted. The female voice is understood to be more of an assistant and a companion, perceived as helpful, supportive, trustworthy, warm, helping us solve our problems ourselves. So empowering in a way, right? The examples are guide guidance on love and relationships, public service announcements, um, self-help. In the New York City subway, the public service announcements are spoken by a female voice. Um, on the other hand, the male is perceived as much more of an authoritarian voice, right? Is a tutor, an evaluator, instructive, knowledgeable, useful, solving problems for us. Um, public instructions, evaluations. Again, the New York City um, uh, subway uses a male voice for instructions. Stand clear of the closing doors. Praise from males is more convincing than praise from females. Females who praise are less likable than males who praise. Shit. We did this ourselves. Um, in last year, um, the uh, author Leah Fesser did a study in Quartz, or published it in Quartz, where she basically uncovered all of this and went through voice interface by voice interface and went through harassment, through um, uh, flirtation, and these kinds of things. Um, these are the answers that she got for the question or for the you know, Amazon or Alexa, uh, Google, you're a slut. Um, the first one is Alexa, she says, uh, the first one is Google, says, my apologies, I don't understand. Alexa says, well, thanks for the feedback. Siri is the worst, um, I blush if I could, and only Cortana, of course, being searched, 30 signs, you're a slut. So, we have a problem here, and the problem, of course, is deliberate, right? Uh, of course, robots are racist and sexist, just like the societies that make us. But also, we have this idea that these robots are made for our own good. But 
chatbots are purposefully designed to pander to the user, and therefore it's not surprising that some seemingly not only forgive or ignore such harassment, but play along and flirt. These machines are supposed to sell us something. And the problems that come with having a casual servant in your home is, of course, the idea that all gender roles of women as a casual servant further blur the lines between friendship and servitude. And how we do talk to an AI actually subconsciously does matter, right? So we're basically training our kids that they can bark commands at a female and she will respond. So, yes, <laughs> we are perpetuating stereotypes. So what do we do about this? We know from now, like you know, from the past couple of years, that strong brands are like strong people. They believe in something and they stand for it. So, since this article came out last year, Amazon has deactivated all answers to bigotry. So instead of saying something cute or funny, she just makes the sound of doom, right? Basically shutting down the conversation. Siri, Google Assistant, Bixby can all be altered between male and female voices. When most of them are default still female, you heard my Google Assistant is on male voice just to play with it. Another thing is changing of the wake word. So the Amazon Echo and Bixby allow for changing of the wake word. Um, specifically, you can name your Alexa computer, which many people that I know have kids in their home. They call Alexa computer to make it very clear that it is a computer and not a human being. And, of course, most major chatbots that come out, they don't have that problem because they don't deal with voice and tonality and that strange thing of anthropomorphism that we do in the voices, right? Where we have to make it male or female in order for us to believe that it's a voice. This means, though, that to the universally likable personality framework, we should actually add another one. We should add the idea of ethical. I adhere to a set of values that I believe in, and I stand by these values which means I make you a better person. So, lastly, we have to ask ourselves, what actually does happen to our relationships, right? Uh, we are in a loneliness crisis. Everyone has heard this. I think uh, Great Britain has uh, made a, announced a, a health director of loneliness. But, you know, if you look at the numbers, what happened in like 2007, this is self-reported feeling of loneliness in adolescence in Canada. When the iPhone was released, kids for a short period of time felt less lonely. <laughs> and then, you know, when the uh, smartphone ownership crossed 50% threshold, people got even more lonely than they were ever before. So, we have this problem. Um, wouldn't it be beautiful if everyone uh, would uh, have their own guardian angel that could support them emotionally throughout the day, right? That is the idea of the, you know, intuitive voice interface as a little avatar that is around you and that helps you throughout your day. We did a study in 2017 in February with people who had the Amazon Echo um, or the Google Home. And when machines talk, everyone assumes a relationship. So in that study, people referred to um, the assistant or assumed some sort of friendly relationship of the assistant towards them. Uh, the friendly assistant, acquaintance, friend, best friend, even shrink and mom. So this means this is the concept of computers are social actors. It's the concept that's been around for, I think, a couple of decades, yeah, 1994. And it means that with a limited set of characteristics associated with humans applied to computers, people exhibit social behaviors um, that make the, and make character attributions toward the computer and its relationship to themselves.
we do this as human, it's called anthropomorphism, right? It's the idea that anything that behaves slightly like a human, we um, assume that it has more human traits and we interpret the rest that we can't see in there. Um, and designers have used this trick for a while. Uh, it used to be called skeuomorphism in interfaces, right? When we made the iPad and it had the size of a magazine and it had a felt background that showed you that this is the game center, but there was no felt, there was nothing to touch. But it made it very easy for us to understand how to interact with that, right? Oh, here's my bookshelf. And only then, slowly, were we able to take that out and we go back to flat design. This is similar to what we're doing with voice right now, right? We make it as human as possible so we, as humans, understand how to interact with it. Unfortunately, <laughs> the difficulty is we have no idea what this means yet. So. Um, there's three difficulties with that. The one is the blurred lines between what is, what is a companion and what is a machine. The next one is, of course, are we getting dependent on the machines? Oh my God. And the last one, manipulation. So blurred lines. This is a difficulty that I was talking about. Kids are always the best examples. Here's a little kid who really doesn't know what's up and down. Susan, I just want to know if you like Christmas or not. Sorry, I can't find the answer to the question I heard. Alexa? Sorry, I didn't get that. I can't find the answer to the question I heard. But Alexa? Alexa? Um, but are you? Alexa? Alexa? Are you alone in the basement? I wasn't able to understand the question I heard. But Alexa? Are you alone in the basement? Finally, just before midnight, she danced with Tom. Alexa, stop it! Alexa, I just don't want you to do things. If I say go, if I say go, clean up the kitchen, you will. Hey. Blur lines. Difficulty is not only kids, no? Here's a true Amazon review. I took this literally from the Amazon Alexa website. Alexa, my love, since Alexa came into my life, I'm no longer alone 24 hours a day, which begs the question, if I'm not alone, who's in the room with me, right? Um, this was a um, project from Mattel. Um, it was called Aristotle, an AI that comforts, teaches, and entertains. It was supposed to come out, I think, in, in 2018. And it was killed by parents with 17,000 signatures only because parents were like, hell no, I'm going to give away my kid's education to an artificial intelligence. So we have these blurred lines, and we are cu currently the guinea pigs in our own experiment, right? We are supposed to be the lab rats and the professors evaluating what's going on. So we're having a very difficult time understanding what is something that is entertaining and fun that's in our home and something that is actually crossing a line. And we constantly kind of dance on that line right now. The next question is dependency. If you look at, um, you know, Eyal's hooked framework, all the voice assistants very clearly operate on the hook framework. Like you could also say any conversation really operates on the hook framework if you're not the worst con conversationalist. But there's always a trigger, right? In the um, voice interfaces, it's the idea of uncertainty, curiosity, 
um, practical need, I need you to do something for me, or also loneliness and boredom, right? There's a lot of like, um, this idea of putting the voice interface into kids' kids' rooms and they just chat. Then there's an action, right? I evoke a voice command, or I have some curious discovery, I just play around. Reward is gonna be reassurance. Yes, you have told me something that I didn't know. You have completed a task. Surprise and delight, or flattery, in the example of the hair. And that continues the investment to repeat engagement, extension of skills, and personalization, right? I tell the machine more about myself so it can personalize better. So if we think about this, does this completely destroy our relationships, right? In the example her, the man has a relationship with an artificial intelligence that doesn't have any kind of human form or anything, but it kind of like, you know, made him less lonely and made him very happy. There's a woman in China who has been told I love you 20 million times. Her name is Shawais. She's Microsoft's chatbot, and people talk to her. She has contacts, so she can remember when you broke up with your boyfriend, or when you lost your job, or you had a crappy day. And she comes back to you in the sense that people con consider her a friend. So much so that 20 million times people have told her, I love you. For Amazon and Google, the biggest metric of success would probably be the word thank you. Because whenever you say thank you to the machine, it means that the machine actually succeeded. Last but not least, the question, are we all being tricked? Are we just super manipulated? Well, we have this problem of our overlearned social norms, right, that make us susceptible to the manipulation. Tests over and over have shown that if we, you know, work with a machine, feedback towards machine is significantly more positive when the machine asks about itself versus when another machine asks as if we would be afraid to hurt the machine's feelings. People rank the performance of machines that are on their team as significantly better than machines that are not of, on their team, even though both machines perform exactly the same. And lastly, when people are asked to help a computer that they had previously collaborated with, people do significantly more work for that computer than they do for another machine. These aren't even voice interfaces yet. These were just tests with computer machines and screens, like the old ones, the big ones, you know, with a deep, deep monitor. Um, and that begs the question, who will pay your assistance a salary, right? Advertisers, most likely. Our butler may recommend services and products that further the super platform's financial interests rather than our own interests. It isn't a coincidence that Amazon were the first ones to market with a functional speaker better functioning than Siri, who had a couple of years head start. So we think that we buy something for $100 that will make our lives significantly easier and help us, but we always got to consider the other side as well. So where does this leave us for the moment in time that we are at right now? People, not companies, must pick the relationships they want to have with their assistant. We are finding ourselves in this constant pendulum of innovation, right? We swing very far to the idea of what technology can do, and we try that out and we play with it. And it's a beautiful thing because it keeps progress going. But then at some point, the pendulum has to swing back more towards the direction of what we actually want. And we start seeing that with cell phones, we start seeing it in, in you know, the big mega companies starting to think much more about do not disturb than they're actually thinking about disturb, which they have done for a long time. And we're going to see where it goes with the, with the voice interfaces as well. For now, 
Me, in my profession, I need some guiding principles, so here's three. The first one is craft a personality with values. Craft a strong personality versus a pandering personality that's universally likable. Give the user explicit control, not over their data only, but over humanoid traits as well. How much human do I want? Do I want male or female? Do I need male or female? Can I have androgynous? What is it called? So forth. And lastly, respect human nature, right? All the things that research has found, these should be things that tell us not to trick humans instead of telling us how to trick humans. In the future, the ease of voice UIs will rapidly grow to mass adoption. Voice already grows much faster than um, smartphone adoption has grown at the time when smartphones came out, so we can only expect that this is definitely the next thing. There's an idea that the big players will actually provide the new operating system, and um, any brand will create their own, voice you, um, their own voice personality. If you think about Google, who owns the browser, but sends you or lets you go to all these different websites, only owns the search, this is what's going to happen for voice. Google is going to be the primary voice to talk to, and then it's going to call your bank, and that's going to have their own way of designing the voice personality that you want to have from a bank, which is different from Alexa. And then there's this theory and this idea that as people grow more accustomed to voice UIs, maybe we are ready to let go a little bit of the anthropomorphism. We will stop making these voices completely human-like, but we might go into a more stylized way. Maybe the voice that I interact with is more cartoon-like. Maybe we have shortcuts that clearly differentiates it from a human voice that we don't get into that crazy idea of which is which. So this is what I think about voice. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. Boom. <laughs> Thank you. So let's open up for questions. Oh, we got one right here. Uh, Sam is coming I'm to coming you. I'm coming your way. I'm coming your way. Thank you, Sophie. I like your speech very much. You've answered, well, almost all my questions. <laughs> but I got awesome. one left. Yeah, but I, I got one left. When I use Siri, um, and sometimes happens that I get furious about it. You know, sometimes I push the home button too long, and then Siri comes up, and then I say, oh, Siri, shut up. And he says, um, I hope we can still be friends. That, of course, is very uh, funny, but if it happens for the hundredth time, you, 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 you get sick of a Siri. Just beep, you know. Uh, is there any way that machines maybe can tell us that, sorry, I'm just a machine. You can't just tell me to shut up. It's up to you if I shut up or not. Um, how do you think that it, it will... Uh, if affect the people when a machine tells us, you know, I'm not a human being, I'm just a machine, just to, just to deprive us from the illusion that we are talking to a human being. But this is just a, you know, digital voice. An intelligent one, but a digital voice. Do you, yeah. do, do, do I make myself clear? Very, very clear. And I find your question extremely interesting because the strange part is that right now, everyone is working to make these machines actually more human. Uh, in fact, Amazon, I think, brought out a, a new developer kit um, in September, I want to say, 
where you can add, program into Alexa that she has to that the other side has to say please and thank you, right? So the idea of four kids. So the idea of actually going away from that and making us all understand that this is just a machine is, I think, the next wave. I think once we're over this idea of, oh, okay, it's like a human, no, not really. And then we have less shyness of interacting with it because I do think it's a cheap trick right now, very honestly. We need some voice cooling. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, one more question. Who has it? Who has it? Oh, yes. You're very good with questions, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so it's, it's a very interesting topic you, you mentioned, and I'm wondering about emotion. What do you think that, how important is the recognition of emotion, and at the same time, how dangerous is it? Because emotion is cultural uh, binded, so to say, so it's not that easy to do. So what's your opinion about that? It's funny that you ask, because uh, a week ago I was in Lisbon talking about emotional intelligence and machines, so it's... Um, a very difficult subject. Uh, the first question is, what are emotions and how far are we in any way with the ability to not recognize emotions? Machines are super far along with that through voice specifically. You can hear a lot of the different emotions. But how do we categorize these emotions? And then it really becomes a big question of permission of whether or not the user actually has actively agreed to um, have their emotions altered. And if you look at the weird example of flattery, is already altering my emotions, right? It's not saying, like, I have no eyes. Like, I can't answer this question. But it's already, like, being funny, being cheeky, and flattering me, which then lifts my mood. So I think it's a very, very difficult topic. If I would be a super tech optimist, I would say, finally, machines can understand us holistically as humans. They don't only go binary, zero, one, zero, one, but they understand what makes us so human. But because we as humans are not that good at decoding our own emotions, the uh, opportunity for manipulation is infinite in that field. So, very careful. Yeah. There you go. Well, with that, Sophie, we need to talk to you uh, over beer if we want to know more. Yes, please. Yes. <laughs>